Amen. Once again, welcome to each one. I'm glad you're here this morning. We have a little bit of a smaller group this morning, but uh, that's okay. It just means that uh, you all got to sing out, and it uh, leaves more time for each of you to share and uh, share what God has done for you this week, testimonies, prayer requests. So feel free to open up uh, between songs and do that. Tell me how God has been faithful to you this week. It's been uh, a busy week for me. I was traveling. I was to Arizona and back and working in 115 degree weather out there, moving furniture and appliances and things like that. And uh, I found that it uh, takes more than my human strength to do that in, in that kind of weather. So it took the faithfulness of God in that so that's how he was faithful to me this week so feel free to uh, share as we go along yeah, that sounds like a familiar a story to our experiences and you know, it takes the faithfulness of god in in uh, a situation like that as well. Sarah, do you mind praying for them? Amen. Wherever we are, whatever the storm in our life, there's a place where we can have quiet rest no matter where we are or what the experiences or circumstances of our life.
For you kids, well, we don't have a whole lot of kids here yet, or not a whole lot of you here today, but how many of you know the story of the Samaritan woman at the well? Do you know that, Sherry? You guys know that? Brad? Benny, do you know that story about the woman at the well? All right, well, guess what? I'm going to tell that story to you in uh, the children's lesson time. So uh, this song starts out talking about that woman. She was looking for things that just couldn't satisfy her. And Jesus came along and told her how to look for things that could satisfy her. You know, that's how we are in, in life, whether it's as kids or as adults, somehow we look for this short-term pleasure, if you will, and, and that's not wrong in and of itself to have things that we enjoy and uh, good things in life, but that's not where our satisfaction comes from. If you're looking for that to satisfy your life, that's not going to happen. But Jesus can come in and he can give you lasting satisfaction.
Fanny Crosby. I think all of you should know this one. A wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Lord. You know where that uh, reference comes from about being hidden in the cleft of the rock and, and being covered with God's hand? You know where that, what that story is referencing in the Bible? Can someone tell me that? And it may be more than one, but there's one particular one in my mind. Is anyone, uh, is anyone familiar with that story? Well, I guess I'll have to refresh you. I'm not exactly sure where it's found, but probably in Exodus somewhere, where uh, during the time that God was revealing himself to Moses, <clears throat> and Moses told God he wanted to see his glory. 
and God told him, my glory is so powerful and so strong that you can't, as a human, see it. But God said, what I'll do, he said, you stand in that cave, in that cleft in the rock, and I'm going to pass by, and I'm going to cover that cleft in the rock with my hand as I pass by. And God's glory was so strong when he did that, that Moses' face glowed, literally shone, and he came down from Mount Sinai after that experience, and the children of Israel trembled and said, we can't look at you, Moses. You have to cover your face. We can't deal with that much glory. You know, that's, that's the experience that I believe God wants us to have with him, that his powerful, our, our experience of being near him in that way, of him covering us with his hand, translates his glory into our lives so powerfully that people can't miss it. That's the reference for the last part of that uh, chorus there. All right, since we've all been sitting the whole time here, let's try standing up for this last one and uh, sing about the Glory of heaven filling your soul.
You can be seated. I know that's your testimony, or will be your testimony today and through this week, that the glory of heaven will fill your soul. All right. As promised, I have a little lesson for the kids. So uh, if you're a kid, if you think you're a kid, if you act like a kid, come on up here. Who remembers what story I said I was going to tell you? The woman at the well. All right. Who else, who else remembers that story? You remember that? You remember the story about the woman at the well? All right, well, I'm going to tell it to you. Now you're going to know it. So there was this. Uh, well, let me see if I, let me see if I can find my Bible app here. So Jesus was taking a journey up to Samaria. Now, Jesus lived in, in Israel, in the nation of Israel, right? Now, Samaria was another little country just right above Israel. And so Jesus and his disciples were going on a little journey, and they went through Samaria. Now, the people in Samaria, no, this isn't the story about Noah. This is a story about Jesus and his disciples, or mostly Jesus, talking to this woman. So they went on this journey up, up through this other country. Now, now most of, most of the Jews and like Jesus' disciples, they didn't like the people in, in Samaria. They didn't think that they were very nice people. So they wouldn't talk to them. And they wouldn't ask them for anything. They, wouldn't, they tried to avoid them. So they were walking along, and they came up to a well. Now, it was hot and dusty. It's kind of like desert. I was just out in the desert, and wow, it is really hot and dusty in the desert. Were you guys in the desert? Are there any, Denzel, are there any deserts in Mexico? Are there deserts in Mexico? Does it get hot in Mexico? Okay. And you start really sweating? Yeah. And, and then you start sweating, right? Then what happens? Then you get thirsty? You get thirsty then? Oh, that's the way it works. Well, so when they were when they were on this journey, guess what? They got hot and dusty and sweaty. And so they were in Samaria and they came up to this well. Now, they didn't have running water. They couldn't just go in their house and turn the faucet on and get water. They had to go out to the well and drop a bucket into the well and pull water up. So here they are at this well, and Jesus sits down by the well to rest, and he tells his disciples, will you go on into town and you buy some food for us because we're hungry because we've been walking a long ways. And so Jesus is sitting by this well, and while he's sitting there, this woman from Samaria comes out, and Jesus said, hey, can you, uh, can you get some water out of the well for me? Because Jesus didn't have anything to get out of anything any water out of the well. And this woman said, what, why are you asking me to get water out of the well? You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan and Jews don't like Samaritans. You, you, Jews usually don't even talk to us and here you are asking me to get water for you? 
She was surprised that Jesus would even talk to her because she didn't really know who Jesus was. And Jesus said, well, if you really knew who I was, you would ask me to give something, to give you something, and I would give you living water. Now, this woman thought that she didn't, she didn't know what living water was. She just thought it was some special water that she could drink and it would never, she would never be thirsty again. What do you think Jesus meant when he said living water that he would give her? you have any idea what Jesus meant? So he, Jesus meant that if she would follow him and, and obey him and live for him, that then her life would be so much better. But she didn't understand that. And so Jesus was talking to her and said, when I give somebody water, when I give somebody my life, they never thirst again. They're, they're satisfied. They're satisfied with what I give them. And this sounded really cool to this woman because she was trying all kinds of things in her life to be satisfied. In fact, she had been married five different times. She was to five different husbands because she just wasn't satisfied with one and then she'd find another one. So she was trying to find all kinds of things in life that would satisfy her. Nothing satisfied her. She was always looking for something new and something different. But Jesus said, you have to follow me to be satisfied. That's how you become satisfied. Now... Are you kids always satisfied in your life, or do you, when you go shopping, say, Mom, buy me that. Mom, Dad, I really want that. How about you, Kaden? What do you ask for when we go to Shields? Kaden, do you ask for things when we go to Shields? A walkie-talkie. Uh, what else What else have you asked for recently? Guns, bows, knives, all those things. And, and you think all those things will make you happy, right? But guess what? When Daddy gets something for you, the next time you go to Shields, you still want something else, right? Yeah? Well, that's kind of the way it works for kids. And you know what? It works that way for adults, too. That's not just special for kids. We always want something new to try to make us happy and to satisfy us. But you know what? As you, as you guys get older, you're going to understand that it's fun to have nice things. It's fun to get gifts. It's fun when your parents give you things. But those things aren't going to satisfy you. And as you get older, I hope you remember when you're feeling dissatisfied and you think you need something new or something different, remember it's following Jesus and listening to the things that he says that will make you satisfied and will make you happy. Think you guys can remember that? Good. Now all us adults need to remember that too. That's not just for kids. All right? Thanks for listening. You can go back to your parents. All right, once again, thanks for... Uh, being here this morning, and uh, I think our service is uh, 
our fairly typical service. Good to have each one of you here, and we'll have, we have coffee, tea, water, whatever all you need back there in the foyer. Please uh, help yourself to that, and uh, lunch after the service, as usual. We stay and enjoy that time of fellowship, and I believe Phil will be sharing the word with us. Before he, do, before he does that, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for giving us your word, giving us this time here together. I pray, Father, for each one of us that we would continue to learn that our satisfaction, our joy, our security comes in following you, not from the latest new thing or the latest fad. I pray that uh, you would help us to remember to seek you, to always seek your face, seek your name, to dig into your word and to find our satisfaction there through the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would uh, speak to us now through your word and be with Phil as he speaks, that you would speak the things that you want us to hear this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a children's song. I went back and asked the team back there if they found it. I don't know if they found it or not. It goes like this. Oh, I really wanted this and I really wanted that. Oh, Lord, you're not answering me. You know that song? Kind of? Yes, that's it. I think it might start by, give me, give me this, Lord. Give me, give me that, Lord. Give me, give me mentality. Oh, I really wanted this and I really wanted that. Oh, Lord, you're not answering me. All the world's wrapped in. We'll deny it again, but we want everything we see. We've got blessings galore and we still want more. Oh, Lord, you're not answering me. And then it continues on. It's like a, kid, a kid's song. So I don't know. If they'll find it on YouTube, I'll... I will play it for you. It goes really well with Anthony's lesson. This morning, you may turn your Bibles with me to Isaiah 55. But before we do that, I need to make a correction from last Sunday. Can anyone tell me how many children Abraham had when he died? Yes? How many children did Abraham have when he died? Yes? Denzel, two? That's what I said. Last Sunday I said two. You were listening. But you know what? I was wrong. Abraham had more than two children. In Genesis 25, it tells us after Sarah died, Abraham married a wife named Keturah. And he had six more children. So Abraham had Ishmael, his firstborn, then he had Isaac through Sarah, and then through Keturah he had six more. So he had eight children, eight sons. So I was wrong. I needed to make that correction. Yes, Steve. Actually, he had more than that. Okay. That's right. But when he physically died. He had eight sons, and all those eight sons became a nation. And then the Lord took it from there, and through his descendant, Jesus, 
And the promise to Abraham now came through Jesus to all those who believe and have the same faith that Abraham had. Romans chapter 4 tells us. And now every Christian that ever was born again of the same spirit, having the same faith towards God that Abraham is a son of Abraham. And he says this word, Therefore you can be sure that those in Galatians and in Romans, you can be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And where does God find faith in the world? Throughout all the nations of the world. But Abraham, when he died, my point was last Sunday, Hebrews 11, these all died in faith, not having received the promise. So eight sons wasn't the promise. God had told Abraham, look at the stars. That's how many of your children are going to be. He didn't die with that many, did he? But he died believing God was true to his promise. And today, you think Abraham is disappointed? No. There's no disappointment with God in Abraham's heart. Neither does there need to be any disappointment in our hearts towards God. And I don't know about you, but I find... In my Christian journey with God, and even before I was a born-again believer, there were many times I was disappointed with God. Are you a disappointed Christian? If you are, then what Elie shared last Sunday is a truth that can save you from disappointment. What he shared is that hope is not in a thing. It's in a person. His name is Jesus. And if our hope is in Jesus, we'll never be disappointed. God's word promises us that in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says these words. Verse 4. And coming to him, Jesus, as to a living stone, rejected by men. Men rejected Jesus. But choice and precious in the sight of God. You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. For a holy priesthood. To offer up spiritual sacrifices. There you go, Steve. Steve and I were talking this morning about, does God want sacrifices today? Do you please God through a sacrifice? What do you think? Ah. Sacrifice of praise? Yes. Yes, a living sacrifice. The first man recorded to please God, according to Hebrews 11, was Abel. How did he please God? He brought a sacrifice. And what made his sacrifice different than his brothers, who also brought a sacrifice? Cain. Faith. Hebrews 11 says, by faith, Abel brought a sacrifice. 
God hadn't told him to. He just believed God would be pleased with it. Faith is not a command by the law. It's a leading of the Spirit as an act of obedience. That is beyond what you've been commanded. He believed God would be happy with this kind of sacrifice, and so he did it. And God was happy, though he died for it. Do you think Abel is disappointed today in his sacrifice to God? You know, he didn't live long. Probably lived the shortest life on earth. Doesn't tell us how old he was. So we don't really know. But in his first sacrifice to please God, he died for it. I don't think he's disappointed. Look in 2 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are to do that. That's my life. And like you said, sacrifices of praise, a living sacrifice. Paul in Romans 12 verse 1, he says to the brothers in the church in Rome, I beg you brothers, by the mercies of God, that you do something. You offer up your body as a living sacrifice that is acceptable and well-pleasing to God. The Holy Spirit begged the Christians in Rome to do this. And he still is begging God's people to do that same thing. Because it's well-pleasing to God. And now listen to this word. Verse 6, 1 Peter chapter 2. For this is contained in Scripture. In the Bible, this truth is contained it's right here. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him shall not be disappointed. Shall not be. But if you believe in something else, even in a promise of God, because you see, we do something with promises. We put them into our time zone. You promised. Your children ever say that to you, parents? But you promised. I didn't say today. I said, if the Lord wills, we'll do this today. That's what James says we should do. Shouldn't brag and say, I'm going to do this today or tomorrow I'm going to do that. He said, everyone who does that is proud and boastful. You can't control tomorrow. But we can make plans. But then we say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. That person will never be disappointed. Because his hope is not in his plans. It's in the Lord's will. And so if the Lord changes your plans, you're not disappointed. You may feel sad about it because you were hoping to do it. But you won't be disappointed in God. You see the difference? Because you've made your plans, surrendering them to God. No disappointment. And that's where many Christians miss it. They're disappointed in God because God doesn't fulfill their plans. You see the difference? And the devil loves it. He loves disappointed Christians 
Because the next step is he can discourage you. And then after discouraging you, it takes you into a dark place where you start getting depressed. Oh, and then it mushrooms. It grows so fast. It's like, it's like a little leaven. And Galatians tells us leavens the whole lump. It turns your whole attitude sour. Now you start blaming God for lots of things. Not just this thing. And you start saying like, why does it always go like this with me? Everything goes wrong with me. You ever heard anyone say that? When they were disappointed about one little thing? All of a sudden, everything's bad. It always goes this way. No, it doesn't. Now you're, now you're depressed and discouraged. And then the devil, when you're there, the devil can take advantage of you so quickly. You have no clue how you get from there to there. But it quickly leads you into sin. You have this kind of give up attitude with God. Oh, well, who cares anyway? And once you settle into that attitude, the devil can do anything with you. Not only the devil, you. You can do anything with you. Because you just say, who cares anyway? And then you just live for your flesh. Whatever you want to do, you do. Whatever you want to say, you say. And the Holy Spirit loses his, uh, his control over your life. Because you just go walk your own way. And that's how quickly, if we walk in the flesh, we go the way of death. He that is led by the Spirit is the Son of God, Romans 8 says. But if you walk after the flesh, you will die. It just leads you to death. But God shows up at that point of death in our life, just like he did with Cain. The wonderful thing about God is he's merciful. And God gave Cain, he didn't just, you know, when Cain got angry with Abel, that his sacrifice pleased God, and he got jealous, God shows up right away. And he says to Cain, you'll read this in Genesis. I want to give you the reference so you can go back and read the story because that's the power of God. More than just how I relate to you the story. In Genesis chapter 4, Then the Lord said to Cain, verse 5, But for Cain and his offering, God had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell, showed it on his face. God shows up. Before he did anything about it, if you look angry, God's going to show up. Just by your look. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. And its desire is for you. But you must master it. God gives him an opportunity right then and there. Sin comes crouching at the door, wanting to capture your heart, your mind, lead you away from God. But God is so merciful, he steps right in there. Wait, 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 wait. 
I see that you're angry. You know what we tend to do when God says that to us? I'm not angry. Right? Have you ever done that? No, Lord, I'm not angry. Sometimes our children say that. Say, why are you angry? I'm not angry. Oh, you're not? What about the look on your face? Doesn't look happy to me. God went by his face. He couldn't deny it. And then God gave him this wonderful opportunity. So in the middle of our disappointment, frustration, even anger and jealousy, we have a Father in heaven who steps right in through the voice of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and says, stop, stop. Why? Don't do that. I love you. Do well. Be a living sacrifice to me. Listen to me. Because sin is right there, ready to get you. But don't do it. You can master it. And in Romans chapter 6, it says, Sin shall not rule over you anymore. Because you're under grace. You know what grace is? Grace is God's heavenly influence on my heart. That's grace. Hebrews puts it very well. It says, we can come boldly to the throne of grace. That means where grace reigns to find mercy and help. Grace to help in our time of need. And that's what grace is. It helps us. It's like when we're drowning and the Lord gives us his hand like he did Peter. Peter was drowning when he was walking on the water, but he got help, so he didn't die. And he was the only man ever recorded to walk on water besides Jesus. When he got Jesus' help, he walked with Jesus on water. That's grace. Doing things you can't possibly do on your own without Jesus' help. You will get angry. You will kill your brother. You will. Maybe not with a gun, but with your tongue. You'll definitely kill him with a tongue. Life and death are in the power of the tongue, Proverbs says. And he that loves it shall eat it. You're going to eat your words. Your parents ever said that? Hey, watch it. You're going to eat your words. That's Bible. You eat your words. You curse, comes back to you. You bless, you inherit a blessing. That's why Jesus said it very clearly in Matthew chapter 7. Do not judge, for with the same judgment you meet, it will be measured back to you again. You say it, come right back at you. It's like a boomerang. Our words are boomerangs. You know what a boomerang is, kids? This little stick kind of funny shape thing. You throw it and it ends up coming in a circle right back at you. Words, boomerang. I'm reading a book that's really challenging my life. See, I knew this truth that I'm sharing with you almost all my life. My parents told me when I was I don't know, ever since I can remember. But to know the truth 
and to experience a truth are two different things. You can even memorize the Bible verse in your mind. But once you live that truth, somehow it changes you. Because it can change relationships. It does change relationships. And this book, this brother from years ago, back in northern England, in the Welsh area, started a small group with just a small Bible study. And they, they were led with this instruction, to be a blessing. To be a blessing. That was God's call on their life. Did you know God's call is that on your life? I'll read it to you. First Peter, chapter 3. Peter understood this word. To be a blessing. First Peter, chapter 3, verse 8. To sum up, that means this is the end goal. Let all be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly. What do you think that word brotherly means? I'll let you think about it. You want to say something, Angel? Ah. Yes, and I think it means to be so relaxed with each other that you're able to tease one another sometimes. You're brotherly. You act like brothers and sisters with each other, right? I can pretend I'm going to run over Dwayne, and Dwayne's got mashed potatoes in his hand, and he wants to throw them on my windshield, but he doesn't, and I don't run over him. We're just teasing each other, and we're okay. (laughs) <laughs> he wanted them for dinner, so he didn't throw them at me. All right, see, that's brotherly. And then we talk about it in church and everyone laughs. Kind-hearted, humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but look at this, but giving a blessing instead When someone does evil to you, you bless them. Jesus said, bless those who curse you. Bless and do not curse, James says. Give a blessing for you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Boomerang. I give a blessing, I inherit a blessing. That's what we were called to. And then you can continue to look at the story. And so this brother writes this word of how the Lord changed their life through this instruction. And instead of criticizing other Christians, instead of judging everybody else and thinking how everyone else is doing it wrong, and you know, I mean, that's just so natural. When I think I'm doing it right, usually it's because I think everyone else could do it better. Maybe I don't say they're doing it wrong, but they certainly could improve. How about giving a blessing, an inherited blessing? And when I began to look at this in my own life, the Lord began to convict me 
in a deeper way of this. I need to be a source. God is looking for men and women whom he can use to bless their families, bless their homes, their children, bless when they're cursed, bless their communities, bless each other when we gather together, bless when we're reviled and insulted. He's looking for his children that he, God, can give a blessing to, give part of his inheritance to. Through his spirit, he can give them a blessing. But I think God is in heaven today and he's, he's, his closets are full of blessings that he can't hand out because his children are grumbling and complaining just like the rest of the world and they're cursing and they're swearing and they're judging and they're very few believe this word and are actually giving blessings when they're cursed. They don't think it's a blessing to be cursed. But Jesus said, it is. You see, Jesus said, blessed are you in Matthew chapter 5 and in Luke chapter 6. Blessed are you. You are being blessed when men speak evil about you and cast insults at you for my name's sake and lie about you and put your name in the mud. You're being blessed. So if I think, if I count that as a blessing, why wouldn't I bless back? I would. But that's the problem. We don't count that as a blessing. We don't believe the words of Jesus. And so we are just like everyone else in the world. When we're cursed, we think it's a curse. But God, our Heavenly Father, is saying, no man can curse you. I am the only one who has the authority to curse and bless you. So when men speak evil of you, I make that a blessing so you can inherit a blessing. I'm giving you an opportunity to bless because I want to give you blessings. Wow. How God can change. His way is not our way. Right? Isaiah 55. Verse 1. Ho, oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. This will cost you nothing. This, to live like this, will cost you nothing. In fact, the Lord continues to say, Stop giving me all your money. I don't want your money. I own the whole world, he says in Ezekiel. Because God's people thought they could come to the Lord and give sacrifices of tithes and offerings. And the Lord said, forget it. You make me sick. I don't even want your money. What I want is your heart. That's what I want. I want this. And I'll give it to you free. It will cost you nothing. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread? Verse 2. And your wages for what does not satisfy. Listen carefully to me. And eat what is good. And delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Jesus is saying. Incline your ear 
and come to me. Jesus said it often as he was teaching. If you read the Gospels, Jesus many, many times repeated this. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. And then Jesus told us the difference. In Matthew 15, he said, most of Israel were listening with their ears, but they weren't hearing. What was the difference? Jesus said, the difference is their heart is far away from me. You can listen with your ear, remember it in your mind, but if it doesn't enter into your heart, won't change your life. So here's an invitation. Change your heart from cursing to blessing, from receiving curses from men and counting it as a blessing. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus said, Woe to you. It's a curse to you when men speak well of you. Wait, what? Have you ever considered that a curse? When people have come up to you and said, Oh, thank you. You bless me. You're such a blessing to me. I just love how you know the scriptures and I just love how you shared that word or, or thank you for mowing my yard or, or thank you for doing this or whatever they blessed you for in your heart. Did you put up a guard? Shield. Whoa, woe is me. Woe is me. Not taking that one into my heart. I'll receive it in my head and politely say thank you. But it's not going to enter my heart. That'll be a woe to me, a curse. Because Jesus said that's how they spoke about all the false prophets. Many times in my teaching and preaching God's word, and especially when I travel in other areas where I'm not so well known across the world, this happened to me in Australia just to, this past summer. I was preaching for a whole weekend to mostly people who didn't know me. Many of them had never seen me before. And you know, as I shared the word, and this happens naturally, it's not wrong, but when we listen to new teachers that we don't know well, we don't know their life, somehow we like their preaching. Their style's different. We've never heard it before. It just ministers to us differently, and it blesses us, right? Or am I a stranger here, huh? Have you ever experienced that? Come on, you just did not a couple Sundays ago. I heard you. Many of you said when Matt Yoder was here, oh, that was a good sermon. That guy really blessed me. Wow, you, I just was so inspired. You don't even know the man. You don't know his family. You don't know his history. You know nothing about him. It was just his word, his mannerisms that was new, that blessed you. It's not wrong. Let's recognize it. Because if we don't recognize it, we'll never guard our heart. And it'll come right into our hearts. The praise of men will come right into our hearts. And we're going to love it. It's going to make our hearts smile. And Jesus said to the scribes and Pharisees, How can you believe my words? You can't because you love the praise of men. Makes you happy when men praise you. And it's a curse to you. That's what he said. And if we believe that, we'll guard our heart when we're praised by men. 
The only praise that counts comes from the Lord. And then we'll do the same thing when men curse us. We'll guard our heart. We'll come to the Lord and the Lord will say, bless your enemies, pray for them, do good to them, bless that you may inherit a blessing. You see how Jesus' words bring us life, but his way is not our way. And unless we come to Jesus and learn his way, like he says right here, let, verse 7, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord for he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts, God says. I don't think like you think. Neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts and your thoughts. So unless you and I come to the Lord, when all of this is happening to us, we're going to react naturally, just like everyone else. But if we come to the throne of grace to get that help, we'll believe his words. We won't be disappointed when men curse us will be guarded when men bless us and will use every opportunity of cursing to bless. And then the Lord will give us that inheritance, His Holy Spirit, which will bless us richly. You see, it's the same thing with money. I've talked to so many Christians and I fought the same battle in my head about money. What if the money all of a sudden dries up in your life? you feel blessed? Do you know you're being blessed right then and there? Nope, you don't, do you? I don't either feel that way, but I know that's true because Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, blessed are the poor. Now in Matthew chapter 5, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. But how do we become poor in spirit? I'll tell you how. Broken financially will make us poor in spirit. Because you know what a poor in spirit actually means? The Greek word is blessed are the beggars. What's the word? Do you beg when you have plenty? No, you don't. You don't beg God for anything. How many of you beg God for food when your refrigerator is full of food? Have you ever done that? No, you haven't. We don't. That's why Jesus said in Luke 6... Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And in James, he says, blessed are the poor. Listen to this. For they are rich in faith. You don't need any faith that God will provide for your needs when you have an abundance. Do you? In James, chapter 2, verse 5. Listen. There it is. Are you just going to listen with your ear? Or is it going to go into your heart? Listen, my beloved brethren. Did not God choose, God's choice, the poor of this world to be rich in faith? 
Did God not choose that? Does every one of God's children say, Amen? Oh, okay, you just volunteered to be poor. Me too. Poor? God chose us to be poor so we can be rich in faith. How many of the apostles were millionaires? Hmm. Yeah. Why do you say that? Oh, maybe so. If he did what Zacchaeus did, he gave it all away. Ah, it's true. He was using other people's money. We like to do that. We like to borrow money to get rich. Yeah? Hmm. Boy, this sure is a nice American dream message, isn't it? Now listen to this. Not only has he chosen you to be rich in faith, this is the way to being an heir of the kingdom of God and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him. You see, something happens and that's why Jesus warned us so strongly with crazy hard words. He said, it is impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. How hard it is, he said. I know. True. It's true. We're all rich compared to many in the world. We live in a rich culture. Gives us lots of good things. But it's an attitude of our spirit. You see, it doesn't mean in in First Timothy chapter six, Paul says to Timothy, I'll read you this word. Paul says to Timothy. And this is important balance of this truth. But I'm trying to bring across our faith in the words of Jesus and how it makes us feel. You see, because when the Lord takes us into financial hardship, we tend to believe we're being cursed. What's wrong with me, God? Why am I not getting a blessing? Right? That's our natural response to hardship. Whether it's Hardship of sickness and health, like we were sharing about, brother, or whether it's hardship in finances, or we tend to believe, we, we feel naturally like we're not being blessed. But Jesus said, we are being blessed. God says, it is a blessing. But His ways are so much higher than our ways, that unless we come to Him with all of our woes and blessings, we're going to get it upside down. What God says is a woe to us, which is a strong warning, very dangerous right now, we think is a wonderful blessing. And what God says is a blessing, we think is a woe. We've got it wrong. And we need to come to the Lord to get it right, to exchange our thoughts for His thoughts and our ways or His ways. And then we'll never be disappointed in Him. That's called faith. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, verse 17, Instruct 
those who are rich in this present world to give all their money to the poor. Is that what he says? You want to read it? It's not what he says. He says, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited. See, your riches make you feel you're in control. I can spend money. I can save money. I'm, I'm in control of my life. I've got money to work with. But you're not. You can be like very rich. And like Jesus gave that story of the rich man who said, Oh, look, soul, you've done so well. What are you going to do with all this money? I know what I'm going to do with all this money. I'm going to build a retirement nest egg. So he said, I'm going to tear down my barns, and I'm going to build bigger barns, and then I'm going to retire. I don't have to work for the rest of my life. Don't you want to win the lottery? American people are stupid. The lottery is the stupidest thing you could do. Because it reveals your heart. A desire to get rich without working for it on other people's stupidity. It's wrong. It's sin. I believe it with my whole heart. Tell me where in the scriptures you can find God's blessing on it. Woe to those who want to get rich quick, Proverbs says. With the sweat of your brow you will eat your bread, God said. That's his way. You're going to sweat. It's called sweat equity. That's God's way. But we want to cheat God's way all the time. Woe to you. I want to get rich quick. But this is what he said. By the way, that man, what did Jesus say happened to that man? Was it a blessing or a curse to him? What happened to him that night? He died. And Jesus said, now whose is it? So is everyone who is not rich towards God, Jesus said. Doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have. That's not what Jesus said was the curse to him. He wasn't rich towards God. He didn't count God's blessings as blessings. He seen it upside down. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. God said you can enjoy your riches. That's right. Just don't fix your hope on it. They're uncertain. Don't make it cause you to be conceited thinking, I can do anything with my money. Make plans for it. No. Have the heart of David with your money. This word in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Oh, wow. Don't you want to die like David died? How many of you would like to die like Solomon died or die like David died? Have you noticed the difference? There was a huge difference. The last we read of Solomon before he died, he built his wife, Pharaoh's daughter. Ouch. A big house. And then in that house, he took her God and he put it in that house and he worshipped.
This is how David died. First Chronicles chapter 29. And King David said to the entire assembly, My son Solomon, who alone God has chosen, is still young and inexperienced, and the work is great, for the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. He wanted to build God the temple. But God said, No, David, that'll be Solomon's job. So you know what David does? He says, well, if God's not going to let me build the temple, I'm at least going to get involved. I'm going to be the architect. So he comes up with all the drawings of the whole thing, the instructions how to build it, and then he does something else. He takes all his money that he's saved up all his life to build the temple, and he gives it to Solomon and says, build the temple with my life savings. The temple was built with David's life savings. This was David's heart. Verse 10. So David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed art thou, O Lord God of Israel, our Father. And I want to note something. From the best that I could find, there was never a man who called God his Father till Jesus came. And at that point, the scribes and Pharisees said, Jesus, you're blaspheming because you call God your Father. But they forgot. They could have read this. This is the only time that you can read that a man called God his Father, except for Jesus. But David had that heart, a man after God's own heart, and to go... God, to David, God was his dad. You know why he was his dad? Read on. This is what good dads do. See? Our Father, forever and ever, thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and in the earth Thine is the dominion, O Lord, and thou dost exalt thyself as head over all. Both riches and honor come from thee, and thou dost rule over all. And in thy hand is power and might, and it lies in thy hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. He's seen everything he had gotten was from his heavenly Father, and so it was all his anyway. Do you see the heart of David? Worship. That's worship. I want to die like David. No matter how much money I have or don't have. And I don't know about you, but my life goes up and down, ebbs and flows. And I can't control it. I don't even know sometimes how it all works. Do you understand economics? They go to school for that. They still can't figure it out. <laughs> yeah, it's always changing and it's a bunch of guesswork you hated it yeah amen but when we see it this way when we see it this way we can worship in the lows and the highs because our heart is it all came from my dad and it's all his anyway and I'm just here to take care of it for a while. Just a steward. I don't own it. Does God own your business? Does God own your life? 
you're just a caretaker. I'm happy. Whether poor or plenty, Paul says, I've learned in every state I am to be content. That's the place of happiness. Contentment. And David found it, and he died that way. And I don't know about you, but for me, I want to die that way. And I don't know when I'm going to die. So the only thing I know to do is to live that way. So that if I die tonight, I die that way. My ways are not your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so much higher are my ways than your ways. But this is what you can do. Come to me. All of you whose ways are not like my ways, whose thoughts are not like my thoughts, come and exchange them. God is a wonderful exchange giver. He will take our sins and exchange it for his eternal life. Forgive all of our sins. Not only forgive them, but he gives us his righteousness to us. And he makes us righteous. Here comes a rotten sinner like Cain who experienced jealousy, was angry, didn't come in faith. He didn't come to God the right way. And God steps in and says, hey, Cain, you can do it the right way. I'll help you. Gives him the opportunity. Cain chose, no, I'm going to go out and kill my brother. Not going to do it God's way. And that's why in Jude he says, don't go the way of Cain. Don't do it. He says that to us. Don't go the way of Cain with your tongue, with your attitude in your heart. Come to me and you will be blessed. Because you live in a world that is always cursing. Full of cursing. You live in a world whose tongues are full of cursing. That's what Proverbs says. That's what Romans chapter 3 says. Look at our culture. This is the culture we live in. You're a child of God. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Pretty depressing world we live in, huh? What are we going to do about it? Well, we can just curse the world we live in just like the rest of the world is. That's natural. Their throat is an open grave. The dead lay there. Their tongue, with their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of the asp or snake is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their path. And the path of peace have they not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. 
Holy Spirit is saying, that's the world. That's how God sees it. And then, in Philippians chapter 2, God is looking for a people he can give a blessing to. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. Do all things without grumbling and arguing. That you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God. Wait, there's no one in the world who's doing righteous. Their tongues are like poisonous snakes. They're full of cursing and their hearts are bitter towards God because of the way they perceive things. They think God's woes are blessings and they think God's blessings are woes and curses. They've got it all wrong. We've got it all wrong in our natural man because 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says the natural Man cannot please God, can't even understand God. But here's what God's children do. They don't do that. We do all things without grumbling or disputing because we have the heart of David. We have the heart of David when men speak cursing to us, we can bless because it's actually a blessing. Holding fast, he says, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. That word perverse means it's backwards. They got it wrong. They got it all backwards. And we live in that kind of a generation, in that kind of a culture, among whom you appear as lights in the world. Men's hearts are dark. Their tongues full of cursing. But God is looking for a people whom he can bless that will receive his blessings when he blesses and guard their hearts when he says, guard your heart, that's a woe to you, watch out. Who will come to God and say, I want you, Lord, my heart is seeking to you, I will listen to your words and take them into my heart and it changes my world, changes my perspective, changes my thoughts for your thoughts, my ways for your ways. And then I will speak them. And then God says, gets out his wallet. Spiritual money flowing. I mean, he's ready. He loves to give. And James 1 tells us he doesn't hold any back. He wants to bless us. But we've got to see his blessings as blessings and his curses as curses. And as long as we still think our ways and not his ways, we're going to get it backwards. And while he's trying to bless us, we think he's cursing us. So today, will you come to the Lord and exchange your way for his way? Your thoughts for his thoughts? It's right here. It's right here. Last night, again, I was reading the story of William Tyndall. You know his life story? William Tyndall. One of the first men to translate Latin into the English Bible. He lived in a culture 
where no one could read the Bible except the priest if they went to school and learned Latin. And he translated the Bible. He died for it. Not only did he die for it, he lived a life of fugitive because the king of England was furious with him. And so was the king of France. And so was the monarch of Germany. Every country in the world seen him as a threat to society. You know why? They knew that if these words would be given to the simple men of the world, as he said, the plowmen of the earth, would change their societies, would change their governments. And it did. Lord, I thank you that your ways are not only higher than our ways, but you'd like to share them with us. And you've given us your word to instruct us. You've given us your Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. And he leads us into experiences to bless us with all heavenly blessings that are in Christ Jesus every day. Oh, Lord, open our eyes. Open our ears to your word so that we can repent from our evil ways, our own ways, and come to you and find grace to help in time of need. And our faith is anchored in you then, Lord, and we're never disappointed in our God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Phil, for sharing your word and that challenge with us. I've always really liked those verses talking about God's way being higher than our ways, his thoughts than our thoughts. And it can be very challenging to submit to that, but yet there's a comfort in that to accept God's ways and knowing that, hey, he's He's got it under control. His his ways are perfect, and when when you when you understand that, you can kind of sit back in life's uh, disappointments and uh, things that happen that you don't understand, and just hey, well, God understands it. He's got it under control, and I'm following Him in that. So that's a good challenge for us. Thank you, Phil. All right, uh, we're gonna have. Lunch. I see the grills fired up there, and I think uh, John and Dwayne are out there cooking up some good lunch for us. I assume it'll be good anyway. It always is. So uh, we're going to have that here shortly. Please stay and enjoy the food and the fellowship. So if you can, feel free to stand to your feet, and we will uh, have a closing prayer. Ali, do you want to lead us in a closing prayer and a uh, blessing on the meal, please? Father, we thank you for your word today. Thank you for blessing us and, and always speaking to our hearts and our spirits. 
We pray for our church, um, that all of us get to be transformed by your word and your spirit, and just be a blessing and receive the blessings from you too. Thank you for this meal. Thank you for providing. Um, we just pray for good, good time together, good conversations that we can um, encourage each other and just also enjoy the company of one another. We bless your name, God, and we love you. Amen.